Peace be to you. Henry the Cobbling of Evil. Let us begin with a question. Welcome to Curiously Catholic, an Evangelion production. In this podcast, we're going to be picking the minds of Catholic enthusiasts and trying to get them to the bottom of how to live truly as a Catholic in contemporary times. My name is Dominic Malgeri, and in this episode, we have Simon O'Connor, National MP. How's it going, mate? Dominic Abiscom. Dominic Good evening. Yes. Uh, just Played to an immediate stereotype yeah, right there. Just in case uh, people were doubting your Catholicity, just throw in some Latin right there at the beginning. Well, we, we could try to conduct most of this in Latin if you like. Um, I'd probably get shot at some point. I'm a, I'm a convert. I don't know Latin. Uh, All right. <laughs> uh, Keep to the vernacular. Yeah, brilliant. So how are you at the moment? It's uh, been pretty crazy in the political sphere in the last month or so. It has. Look, doing very well. Um, recovering in, in my party's case from a pretty devastating mm. uh, loss. Uh, for me personally, I uh, have done okay to get back into Parliament. I'm really pleased with what my local team did, but uh, pretty hard times for my political party. But like any hard times, Dom, it's a chance to reflect, uh, think, and bring about the changes which are needed to well, return. Mm. Well, as Tolkien said, you know, we just do what we're supposed to because we're fighting a long defeat, right? <laughs> Look, exactly, exactly right. Yeah. I'm glad to see you're a Tolkien fan. I'm not particularly surprised, actually. But <laughs> yeah. Good man. I'm, uh, I'm actually working on um, getting someone on to give us a, a theology of Tolkien uh, talk Ooh. on on the Curiously Catholic podcast. So everyone listening, pay attention. It's coming. You can do that one in Elvish. <laughs> uh, Elvish ain't dead. Uh, I <laughs> heard him on the radio. So... Um, as we start every one of these episodes, um, we get to know you a bit more. So uh, you're a Catholic. We heard that from the Latin, but are you a cradle? Are you a convert? How did you get to where you are today in your faith? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, to use your term, I'm a, a cradle. Uh, no choice, uh, but a, a happy consequence. So now I was born and raised Catholic. Mum and dad are, are both uh, Catholics. I'm one of three kids, uh, the eldest, and we were brought up very much in a, in a Catholic home, uh, going to Mass every Sunday. So I suppose the classic case of our habits turning into virtues, well, you hope a virtue. Yeah. Um, went to Catholic schools, little primary school in Whangarei, so that's where I'm from, uh, sorry, Whangarei. So I went to a little Catholic primary school and then on to a little Catholic uh, secondary school. Um, so, yeah, just very much a Catholic upbringing, Catholic youth groups, uh, but much, much wider than that. So I suppose my Catholic life was part of a much, much wider life. Involved with all sorts of other people, secular uh, groups and organisations. But yeah, being Catholic was very much part of who we were as a family. Um, yeah. Mm. Did you, uh, most people I talk to that are cradle Catholics, uh, I mean, it's quite a weird concept for me because uh, I converted when I was in my 20s, but like um, they all seem to have had a moment where they, they decided, okay, no, I'm going to be a Catholic. Uh, did you have one of those moments? Um, yeah, look, I don't actually, I don't think there was <coughs> actually, just to try to be a contrarian and a little bit different. Um, I think there was probably a, a point, because um, I obviously, well, some who won't know, I actually went on in my um, late teens and then in my early 20s to train as a priest. Um, so I suppose that was a very liminal or a very particular moment where I grasped with both hands uh, my Catholic identity. But I'd make the distinction or the, the, the 
comment that before that it was always just part of who I was. I mean, if there was one thing that I inherited through my parents and family is um, being proud of being Catholic. It was never something to be particularly worried about. And um, yeah, it's just always who I have been. I suspect always will be. That's awesome. I mean, so it was like the idea, so you entered, was that the seminary in uh, it was, Well, in my case, I joined a group called the Society of Mary. Well, many of your listeners will know oh, the them as Marists, uh, although I had a lot to do with the diocesan guys uh, who were also in Ponsonby. Sort of the place to put a seminary, sort of on the corner of Ponsonby Road and K Road. I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. So you... So what drew you to the Mara specifically? And um, like you said, that the idea of becoming, uh, being a Catholic was very normal. So was the idea of becoming a priest just kind of like, oh yeah, this, that's what you do as a, a young Catholic bloke or? Um, if I might start with the second part first, just to confuse things. Um, no, there was no pressure. I didn't actually leave uh, school with any great intentions of going into the priesthood. In fact, um, those days had a girlfriend, was off to uni, uh, wanted to study politics, um, academically that is. I suppose it was a hint of my political interests that have manifested to date. But no, I had no particular desire to be in the, the priesthood. My family weren't putting much pressure on. Despite being a Catholic family, Don, we weren't like this overly religious um, group. But it was just part of who we are. But no, I went off to uni, uh, enjoyed my first year. I was 17, loved it enjoyed it. Uh, but about halfway through that year, um, for my case, actually, I was walking up Simon Street and had a, a great desire to pray, which was somewhat unusual. Um, went into St. Benedict's of all places back mm. then. Um, those who are old enough will know what I'm referencing. But just a, an almighty sense uh, of uh, God, a, a presence, a calling, um, and felt the need to consider the priesthood and got in touch with the Marist fathers because they have always been the, the, the priests and the religious of Wangarei. So the mm. Wangarei parish is, is looked after by Marist fathers and brothers and the Marist sisters. Uh, so it was just sort of a natural link. I knew some of the priests and yeah, long oh, story short, I entered the seminary a year later, uh, sorry, six months later. Oh, wow. So we, we you were at university during that decision to go to um, St. Benedict's and become a priest. So was that during your university time? It was, yeah. And what was my first year at university? Um, so that goes back a few years. That must be 1994. 94, okay. And, uh, but like you said, you were studying politics and that sort of stuff anyway. So was there politics like something that was always... A, a, did you feel a call towards politics or...? I think so. You could call it a calling. Others would just say, I'm an opinionated, uh, you know what. Mm. Um, but no, politics has always been part of me, always being opinionated. I've always liked to debate, um, mm -hmm. even as a young person in my teens, uh, you know, writing letters to the editor or lobbying for different things. So in a, in a strange way, my family and friends were probably more surprised that I went to the priesthood uh, then I did going eventually into politics. They would have gone, oh, yeah, that's Simon. He, he wants to be a politician. I see, I see. Uh, we actually just had a, our last two episodes on Curiously Catholic were with uh, Deacon Isaac, who's just, he'd just been uh, ordained a transitional deacon. And the last one was with uh, Thomas Saywell, who who 
like you joined the seminary, but then he left as well. And so we, we've, so you, you know, they're, they're quite interesting episodes to, to, uh, to listen to and to hear about the discernment process. Um, but I suppose this is, was it much of a discernment process to go into politics or again, was it one of those things, oh, the shoe seems to fit, I'm just going to keep walking down this path. Cause like I've um, gone on this long journey and as I was saying to you earlier, I decided to do nursing, um, when I turned 30, you know, I'd already lived 30 years. I'd already done another degree. And now I thought now's the time to, to do nursing. Uh, looking back, I was kind of like, actually, no, it was always there. Uh, and is it, was that kind of thing with your politics? Politics was always there and. I think so. Um, you'd probably want to interview one of my former superiors who would probably tell you again, I was very opinionated, always argumentative, uh, and not very good at following orders. Um, uh, I much prefer to try and lead from the front, um, right. which d- doesn't go well with a vow of obedience. But uh, look, I, uh, look, I went into seminary quite content, wholehearted, um, wasn't feeling that I'd left politics behind. In fact, I was still able to complete my political studies degree, amongst others, um, while in seminary. So it didn't feel like I was giving something up. Uh, But after what turned out to be nine years, so I trained for nine years, I was ready for uh, final vows and ordination that just something wasn't right. Uh, And what turned out to be my last year uh, was difficult, agitating, um, Mm. probably for all concerned. And a, a part of that was politics. I sort of wanted to say and do things um and felt constrained um right and that's not a complaint by the way i loved my time in seminary um but i decided to to leave uh and then very soon afterwards uh, got formally involved in politics and then uh what are we five years later six years later uh got elected to parliament oh wow that's insane oh wow i can't even imagine that um being elected into parliament i guess there's always seems like i mean look because I'm originally from England, but moving to New Zealand... I would what... never have picked it. <laughs> oh, I. Um, um, so um, one thing that, like, coming to New Zealand, it's, I think something that the Kiwis are quite proud of is that, you know, celebrities are just your next-door neighbour. Uh, there's, you know, there's no... You know, like, two degrees of separation from everybody. Uh, you know, you just see your politicians walking down the street, whereas growing up myself, I'm from the north of England, and to me, London was just as far away as New Zealand because it just seemed like a completely different world. And uh, so I was wondering, how do you think your time in seminary and training for the priesthood, do you think that really uh, had an impact? has had an impact on your time in politics? And also... What was it like uh, being elected into Parliament? Oh, well, with the latter, I mean, incredibly, <coughs> incredibly exciting. It's, um, it's something I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, a more recent dream, if you will, but something I wanted to do. Uh, like everyone who aspires to Parliament, it takes a lot of hard work and time and commitment. Um, you really put everything into it. Uh, mm. And then all of a sudden you win. It's like... Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's quite thrilling. I've been on the other side where I've lost and it's gutting. Mm. Uh, and often actually for the people around you because you don't do this um, alone. You've got lots of friends and families and uh, family, sorry, and supporters. Um, so they're either excited or, or very disappointed. But no, it was, it was a very uh, exciting uh, moment and quite life-changing for me because I, I hold a very... Um, safe seat in this case for the national party 
so when I got selected to be the candidate, it pretty much, uh, if you will, get guaranteed uh, that I would get into Parliament. So um, there was a certain uh, degree of certainty with that, not a complacency, mm. um, but it was really quite life-changing. Um, yeah, is that quite a... Wonderful. Is that quite a burden, that certainty of like, okay, I'm... Because like you're saying, uh, entering into Parliament isn't a... It's not a job for you. It's a job... You're, you're ministering to others. Your your whole role is to bring people's voices to the forefront. And so it's like, oh, yeah, I've got this job easy. But then it's like, oh, no, I've got this job. Is that Was that quite a bit, like a big thing for you? Oh, it is. Um, and it remains so. I mean, I'm, I'm really... Uh conscious of not being complacent. I've, I've seen, uh, even in recent times, uh, some colleagues on all sides of the house, I better be clear, who do become complacent, who mm. take their electorates for granted. Um, I try not to. Um, you know, what makes me tick is that I represent, you know, 60 plus thousand people in the seat of Tamaki. So I oh, actually wow. try to be here as much as I can. I live in the community. Um, you mentioned earlier what you haven't experienced in the United Kingdom, but I try to do the opposite here. I live here. You'll see me out and about from getting my hair cut to buying the milk to going for a run or, you know, having a pint on a Friday. So I just sort of love engaging and I just love people. Um, but there was one of two elements which fuel my life. It's people and ideas. Uh, and I just right. love people. It's great. So it's nice and easy to represent them. Uh, but I try to remind myself that that's the essential quality uh, of my role each day. Right. So how do you how do you manage to keep yourself in the community? Because I imagine as I feel like a politician, there's lots of paperwork and lots of going to big meetings and stuff. So how how do you manage to keep into keep involved in the community and maintain your like your face of the? Yeah. Um, I just prioritize it. I know that's sort of a trite thing to say because there, there is no shortage. There is absolutely no shortage of, of work for any uh, politician. And the longer you're in parliament and the more senior you become, so I've chaired select committees, so recently foreign affairs, defense and trade, lots more work. Uh, but the simple answer is that you prioritize your community. So actually, it doesn't matter if there's some big diplomatic function in Wellington. Uh, if the school prize giving for one of my local colleges is on, I'll be there. Uh, if there's an open day about a roading project, um, I'll be there. Um, you know, you turn up to the school galas, um, and in my case, as I say, living locally helps because that's the, I, well, I'm around. So when I'm right. back from Wellington, um, it's not abnormal for me to be out and about, and I just happen to be bumping into constituents, which does come with the slight downside, Dom, that normally it would take me, what, about three minutes to go and get some milk. Um, I yeah. can easily be away for 40 minutes as you end up uh, talking to everybody and chatting away. It's, um, yeah, it's good, but there is a slight downside if the family is still waiting for that pint of milk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, oh, very good. Do you get, uh, so obviously people that you know that like you in your area do you get much abuse hurled at you <laughs> like you know going out for a pint of milk do you, does it take it takes less than three minutes because you've got to run because people are hailing eggs uh, at you or something oh uh, look by and large uh, people face to face are pretty good um okay. i've had a few moments where you sort of uh make sure your hands are out of your, your pocket and you're you're ready just in case um mm -hmm. you know, i've had people 
Yellens, Phipps, and, and so forth, but that is incredibly unusual. Uh, okay. And it's not something that particularly I think about. So face-to-face, -face, not a problem. People will robustly tell me what they think. Um, but I suppose where you get most of the abuse these days uh, is online. People hiding uh, behind their uh, right. keyboards. Um, but to be honest, that's water off a duck's back. When I get uh, the abuse, be it because of my centre-right leanings or my uh, ethical views, um, I really just sort of feel sorry for them. Yeah. Um, so there we go. Anyone who's listening who doesn't like me, I just feel <laughs> sorry for you. Nothing but pity. Um, but also, you know, it's kind of a compliment. They took the time to listen to what you said, follow you on Facebook just so they can criticize you. Uh, it's like, you know, there's a lot of effort involved in that. There um, is. And look, you've got to admire that effort. But um, I don't suffer fools gladly. I love people. I love <clears> ideas. I love to debate. I don't mind being challenged. Uh, but as I say, fools who just want to yell or scream or emote, you know, I'm just going to say I'm emotional, mm. don't particularly care. Um, so it doesn't really impact me too much in the way it does for some others who themselves get quite upset. Yeah. And you said you're, um, you're quite into philosophy. Now, I like to follow, I do like to follow politics because in my mind, it's kind of, um, the practical like the, the 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 arena of philosophy where ideas are fought and you can see them playing out uh, yeah. i typically follow american politics because there's a bit of distance then you know it's kind of like i can criticize both sides and i don't have to vote um so you've had like, a quiet you've had a quiet few weeks then oh my goodness no, i've turned it off i've turned it off Oh my goodness! And every so often, I, I I think, oh, actually, what is going on? And then you know, the anxiety comes, and I'm like, okay, turn it off. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, man, it's 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 horrendous going on over there at the moment. Um, but yeah, I think so. How is your uh, love of philosophy, and what kind of philosophy have you been doing, and how does how has it helped you with your uh, your job? And um, you know, has it has? Would you agree with that sentiment about po politics? to kind of philosophy it like lived out you know practical philosophy if you will yeah oh well all philosophy is is practical well most mm. of it is actually um i was going to take a dig at a friend of mine called andrew if he's listening he'll know who it is that sometimes mm. his philosophy i'd argue might not be so practical but we'll have that debate later so if you're watching andrew you can message me um, um now look all philosophy is practical because it's actually thinking about the very um, ideas and actions that we want to take. And if I was to make one reflection of modern New Zealand and probably of the Western world, is it doesn't reflect on a lot of the decisions that it, it makes. Mm. Uh, you know, why were things done the way they were? You know, they're mm. not just arbitrary. Uh, it's mm. probably why I sit more on the conservative side of the spectrum, politically and philosophically, to go, well, actually, that which we're given tradition, which literally in Latin means to hand on. So why was it given to us? Mm. Now, at times you'll toss that out, at times you'll keep it, but you need to take the time to, to ask those questions. Why is it the way it is? Yeah, um, yeah. Why are we wanting to change? What's going to happen if we make these changes? Um, in some ways, that's what philosophy is. It's just the art of, of questioning. And it's one of the challenges for modern political life certainly in New Zealand. And I suppose one of my small disappointments is that parliamentary life in New Zealand is a little bit like being a gerbil um, on a spinning wheel. Um, mm -hmm. 
it's it's madcap. It's never ending. Things are rushed. Um, and I suppose when I went in nine years ago, I thought not quite sitting back with one's pipe and a, a glass of whiskey pondering life, but you don't quite get the chance to reflect as deeply, um, mm. certainly as I would like. Um, but no, philosophy is great. I'd encourage people to, to do it um, if they want. But no, I started studying it at uni. So all my seminary training, all the academics was done through the University of Auckland. And um, the first year I hated uh, philosophy. Uh, my professor would probably hate me um, or dislike my sort of, eh, why then? Why on earth do I need to ask these questions? <laughs> mm. But then something clicked, something clicked. And then I just started to love it. Uh, and that's what my master's is in. And it's particularly around Aristotelianism. And you go, oh my God, what does that mean? Uh, so I can leave it there rather than bore you. <laughs> well, I, I find myself with philosophy is I've got like a love-hate relationship with it. Um, because... Why? Well my, <laughs> well, my first introduction to philosophy was Eastern philosophy, which is everything is nothing. And it's quite nihilistic. And I was like, this is a lot of rush. Keep me away from it. And then um, I was kind of introduced to um, I was kind of introduced to philosophy uh, through Bishop Barron a bit more. I oh, did yes. do I, I dabbled a bit in in various other places. Like um, considering I didn't believe in God until I was in my twenties, I actually did a, a fair bit of like theology and philosophy, you know, by accident. And so I did do a bit of philosophy and ethics in like college level. Uh, so when I was seventeen and eighteen, and. But like I've come to realize that you know, philosophy's good. I just don't get it when it comes to like religion and stuff. Uh, and like even I guess even with politics and like ideologies, it's like I understand. It's like I get the gist of it. It's like okay, it's a useful tool, but like it just it just other than like general philosophizing, like asking you know why like they say that you know the difference between the left and the right is. The left, you're walking through a field, you meet a fence. The left say, get rid of this fence, let's keep going. And the right go, why is this fence here? Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of caught in between those two mindsets. You know, I think um, I converted to Catholicism and I kind of converted to right-wing politics as well much later in life. It's kind of like, <laughs> I remember talking to my spiritual director and I was like, I just, I just, I just sat down and I'd been listening to uh, like my uh, political podcast and I was like, and I, t I turned to him and I was like, I think I'm right-wing. And I don't, I didn't want to be because no one likes the right wing, right? <laughs> Join the dark side. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I kind of had this realization later in life, and but like I do have that like kind of tugging in in, in me, like I do like to be uh, quite just, uh, like you know, social justice issues, like like yeah, we should fix that, but then I'm like, ah, we should think about it first. But it, that's always my second inclination, and then when I go deeper, I go deeper, and I just enjoy it thoroughly, um, but. Yeah, I think philosophy is just it's a it's a big oh, topic. <laughs> it is, but look, the, the the important thing I'd say to to you and, and any of your listeners is that we can all be philosophers. Some of us are, are, are trained. Mm -hmm. The fundamental word or art of philosophy is why. And mm. so your analogy of the fence is perfect. So yep, you come to this fence and you go, why is it here? And Drawing on your analogy, the left, the progressives, um, yeah, they just bulldoze it. And then they find five meters on that there's a raging bull. And they're like, oh, my God, there should be a fence here. I'm being discriminated against. It's like, no, you're stupid. Um, so 
this is the thing about conservatism, uh, if you will. It's a dirty word these days, but conservatism comes with two qualities. One is patience and one is humility. Um, and the humility aspect, like your fence, is I am not an expert immediately. Just because I think something doesn't mean it's right. I'm humble enough to go, someone's put this fence here. Why? And then there's patience. Because particularly in this modern world, Dom, we just want things yesterday. Just yeah. give it to me. Give it to me now. Mm. So we go, actually, let's be patient. I might not have to remove this fence for one minute. Can I, can I just wait one minute to think about why it might be here and look across the fence and go, there's that bull. So, yeah, it's, sorry, a rather long explanation as always from me. But, you know, philosophy, ultimately, I just love it because it's about questioning. And it's probably why mm. I drive my colleagues mad. Uh, yeah, I yeah. do often just say why yeah 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 why this view and we live in a very um, emotional society now I certainly find it when I go to schools not exclusively but the young ones in particular feel things very strongly mm. and that's fine but I often will say to them again I don't particularly care what you feel I mm. want to know why because um, then it gets sharper more defined and more um, mm. effective um, so it's connecting the heart and the mind and maybe that's mm. another analogy for philosophy it's connecting those two um, really important mm. yeah I guess one of my favorite responses is when, I, when I'm uh, someone approaches me with a, a, a mindset or an idea or a, a claim and a, my my immediate response is I've I've learned to do this because I used to just dive in and attack whatever I could see. Uh, that's the left hand side of me. <laughs> but then as I've grown older and become more right wing, I've realised um, I when people do that, I say, so what's that based on? Where, where did you get that idea from? Why you know again? Why do you think that? And then then you can have a discussion. And uh, I've actually managed to have a few discussions even on social media through using that technique i mean it's odd but you know they're not all you know arguments and uh, debates on facebook it's sometimes i've actually had some pretty good discussions um but that's the case that, that's the key. yeah well that's the dream <laughs> if you can get to that point um how how would you say that your faith has been a part of your political journey uh since um deciding to take politics uh professional you know um in those five years, was it five years leading up to being elected? And then from there, how how has you being Catholic, or maybe even since you've been elected, how has being Catholic affected your uh, your work? Or has it been a, a kind of a, a stumbling block sometimes? Oh, a little of column A, a little of column B. Um, <laughs> look, it's it's part of who I am. I mean, on the, the if you will, the positive side, um, it just flows through me. I'm, it's just part of who I am. It's not the only part. Um, and we might come to that a bit later. I mean, it's not the only part, but you know, I brought up in a Catholic family, Catholic ideas infuse the way that I think. Um, mm -hmm. Even though my postgraduate degrees are secular, if you will, um, they are infused with, um, well, it's probably not just Catholic, but wider Judeo-Christian thought. So I'm definitely influenced by it. Uh, but everyone is in some way, shape, or or form. Because I often will get it from people, oh, you're Catholic, you know, you should put that aside. It's like, really? So you're going to put your 
your own views, your secular views, your pagan views, your Buddhist views, your Marxist views. You're just going to you're just going to park those, are you? Mm. Of course you don't. We are a wonderful species as humans because we are a, a mix of different experiences, and, mm. and part of mine is is Catholic. And so, certainly through my voting record, uh, the way I approach things um, does have a real Catholic tinge to it. It's a real fundamental belief in the, the human being and the goodness of the human being um, mm. from conception to death. So that's why I am abundantly pro-life. Um, oh, right, yeah. You know, it's very much, uh, again, it's not just a Catholic thing. It's, a, it's infused in a very particular mindset. Um, so yeah, it's there, but I suppose the, the key point, it's not like the only thing. I don't wake up in the morning and going, right, what is Simon the Catholic going to do today? <laughs> I'm much yeah. more complex than that. Yeah, yeah. But the other side, very quickly, Dom, is um, it is something which people try to club me over the head with quite often. Um, it's the flip side of what I've just explained. People are, are very, very desirous, particularly my opponents, to box me in as the Catholic. Uh, mm. And you see that a lot in the media. Um, and it's very intolerant. <laughs> Mm. Um, there, you know, they, they'd see it's it's wrong to come from that viewpoint without themselves realizing that they come with their uh, viewpoints as well, which they are happy to explore. But being Catholic is seen as a bit of a problem um, in many circles. But as with earlier, I don't particularly mind. We just bludgeon on through that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep fighting in the long fight. Um... One question that I have been, I've kind of been faced with, and I've never, I haven't known how to respond because it never occurred to me that someone would uh, ask this question. It, it, well, ask it in this way is because there's it, a misunderstanding of the idea of church and state, and there should be a separation of church and state. I, I think, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm firmly on the side of yes, there should be, uh, even though the idea of a theocracy does sound nice, um, but. Uh, <laughs> Somebody said to me, it's like, you shouldn't uh, take your religious views into politics because there needs to be a separation of church and state. And my initial reaction was, uh, what? <laughs> because obviously that's a misunderstanding of church and state. But like, do you, do you have a response to that? If someone takes that misunderstanding of church and state and says, it's like, you can't, you can't use your faith as a marker of how to vote or how to do politics because there needs to be a divide between church and state and you bringing your faith into politics is bringing the church in. Yeah. Well, I mean, my real flippant starting point is that's absolute rubbish. Not at <laughs> you, but at that misunderstanding. Um, mm. um, uh, there is, and maybe I need to unpack it so that people don't go, what? Mm. Um, uh, when people talk about the separation of church and state, uh, what they uh, well, what is meant is no theocracy, as you mentioned. In other words, we don't want the bishops running the country, uh, <laughs> and conversely, which current governments might take note of, governments, you know, the crown should not be running the church. Mm. However, however, that doesn't mean the exclusion of spiritual, religious or faith views in the public sphere or in the state sphere. Mm. Uh, so it's disingenuous uh, at best 
uh, when people say, oh, no, 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 you should not have any faith, uh, shouldn't be bought into politics. It's like, really? Because I often get this from, and dare I be a little bit political, but it will help illustrate the point. Often get it from Green Party. Oh, no, no. Simon, you, you can't bring your Catholic views in. It's like, really? Well, don't you bring your Marxist views in? Mm. Well, well no, 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 we're allowed to do that. It's like, really? Mm. So some religious beliefs are okay, but not others. So <laughs> it is disingenuous. And without being too heavy for your listeners, it's actually incredibly, incredibly dangerous mm. because it's a very exclusionary model. We don't like your views. They get pushed out. So again, really importantly, the separation of church and state is really simple. The church does not run the country and the country or the government don't run the churches. Mm. But all the views, all the debates, all the arguments, <clears throat> they should all be part of any public debate. Because as I mentioned earlier, we're all complex individuals. Each and every one of us come with a whole array of experiences from our families, our economic views, our social standards, our academic views, our um, um, religious views, of course. That's, that's who we are. You're the mm. blend of who you are, Dom, because of your experiences. Me the same, everyone else. And so to go in and say, no, no, this little part here just has to be excluded is, well, worrying and is actually the most blatant form of attempted discrimination. And New Zealand has to fight that very, very hard because that argument of separation is gaining uh, traction and it's being done quite deliberately and with a lot of mischief. Mm, yeah well i guess this is a part where i kind of back away from politics um as my kind of guilty pleasure and hobby is is this the whole thing of like um when these these bad ideas start coming to the forefront and my all my my mind just takes them to the the logical end and i just start having panic attacks i'm like okay stop it now because <laughs> uh, like you know we've heard it in canada uh that's how like jordan peterson got famous and, and i've heard like there's rumors in new zealand of like hate speech laws um coming coming about and then you know it's just there seems to be a lot of uh socialism in the air around the world at the moment um as i said you know i do pay attention to american politics and like the over you know in in america it seems very um blatant um you have people like bernie sanders that are like kind of yeah i'm a socialist you know that's what i'm going for and such like and it's one of those things I just can't, I can't handle it. You know, it, it starts making my chest tighten. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, firstly, if it does become that serious, then, then pull back. I mean, I, I often say to people, we need more good people engaged in politics. It doesn't matter if it's in parliament or in the various lobby groups or just actually engaging in civil society. But if you're starting to get palpitations, tight chest or tingling in your left arm, pull out, <laughs> pull out. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is, there is a growing intolerance and the sad paradox, Dom, is it's coming from the very people who talk about tolerance. Um, and so uh, that's a bit of a worry um, because actually New Zealand as a democracy is built on pluralism. In other words, being able to accept there are a range of views and there's a contest of ideas. So in my nine years of parliament, there have been laws that are passed that I go, that's great. I support that. Mm -hmm. There have been laws that have been passed, which I don't like, but actually I accept that they've been passed. I don't go and protest on the street, uh, smash up stores, attack people, start burning things. 
and having a hissy fit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's an acceptance that actually there are a plurality of views and we just have to continue discussing and debating and try to bring about change. But one of the dangers with socialism um, is it is not accepting um, of that which it, it disagrees with. It, it has to have that constant revolution, to, to quote Marx, um, mm. as in Karl Marx. So mm. it's a much more aggressive quasi-religious zealotry and it's very very dangerous and it's very very intolerant mm-hmm. uh, and you are seeing elements of that and it's not a rumor uh new zealand's government is exploring hate speech legislation mm. uh, and let's be really clear as well to your listeners this is not about hateful speech as much about speech they don't like mm. um, and it has to be fought against because uh, we've already seen a number of our freedoms uh, eroded in recent weeks and months freedom mm. of religion freedom of association freedom of movement uh let's not lose freedom of speech shall we mm. my goodness yeah especially with like you know all this like it's just it's such a the 2020 mate i mean seriously <laughs> it's do i need to say anything else yeah. uh like honestly that's uh, right <laughs> um i think like as like with with covid coming on like i think the world is well i say the world's been hit like the modern world has been hit with something that we've never had to deal with before and you know in in a very catholic sense it's our own mortality and um everything everyone seems to be fighting tooth and nail to make sure that we don't have to um uh, deal with it you know meet death soon and i think you know as as someone that's entering the health profession i guess that's an aim of mine to uh you know not kill anyone or help people not die good, good. <laughs> i'm only i'm only two, i'm two-thirds through yet so you know i haven't killed anyone yet anyway uh <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> um but like yeah i mean i guess what's your take on this whole covid thing from i guess like because i guess pol- like you being a politician politics is very personal for you but ultimately politics is a it's just a thing you know everyone deals with politics every day whether it's governmental politics whether it's the politics of your house whether it's the politics of you know you know public transport or something there is always a, a politic thing yeah. uh, and so like w- without like saying oh these people done it right these people have done it wrong because to be honest i don't think anyone's dealt with this the covid situation right it's like how do you think politics fit into something as uh crazy as a, as a pandemic uh and then like i guess how how do you think how do you reconcile like religion with that yeah, yeah big yeah. questions well i um, am curiously catholic yeah that's right <laughs> um well i suppose politics is ultimately about how you manage things i mean politics has no real influence on a virus per se um personally COVID is real, it's very dangerous, mm-hmm. uh, and New Zealand's incredibly lucky uh, that it's not here. Uh, or rather, it's being managed the way it is so far. Uh, we're incredibly lucky that we are a very uh, underpopulated, uh, not very dense um, uh, population, uh, and we have a whopping big moat around us. So there's, <laughs> I would suggest, an awful amount of luck. And please, Tiki G listeners, is not to take away from what I think have been some very good management decisions uh, by government and officials. 
Uh, but I personally feel that we've been lucky uh, in many ways. And I think, uh, you know, if and probably when COVID does get into New Zealand fully, uh, we might see some of the shortcomings that myself and others have warned about. Um, we hope that's not the case. Um, so what is politics about? Politics is about how do, how do we manage this? It's about making decisions. So I suppose illustrated this way, Dom, everyone has their opinion. Um, everyone's got their theories of what should be done. The politicians and particularly the prime minister and director general of health, well, they have to make the decision. Um, so it's a challenge probably to a lot of people who spend time opining on Facebook and Twitter and wherever else about what they do. But when you're a politician, you can't just talk. You've actually got to eventually do. You've got to make a decision. And perhaps that's one way to really boil down politics as myself uh, and the other 119 MPs have to make decisions where a lot of other people are just happy to talk the theories and the options, but we have to make the decisions. Um, and there's nothing wrong with talking, by the way. Um, it's not as if this is good and bad, but that's what politics is, it's making decisions. Yeah. So in New Zealand, the government's made decisions uh, and as a majesty's loyal opposition, uh, we agree with aspects and we disagree with others. Um, mm. that's, that's the point, um, mm. that's the point of politics. Um, I suppose the wider faith question is, um, as I said right at the, the start, and again, it reflects my philosophy as well as faith, is that um, there is a mortality. Um, you know, we, we can rage all we want against death uh, and against COVID and how unjust it is, but there's sort of an acceptance. It's that patience and humility I talked about. Death is real. Mm. People get sick. Life isn't fair. Um, all right, you know, so sort of an acceptance of that, but really importantly, um, it doesn't mean then you just capitulate. Oh, well, you know, we'll just all give up. It's also balanced or tempered with a, a belief in, in the wonder of humanity. Yeah, yeah. The importance yeah. of every life. Uh, and so you fight as hard as you can um, to protect life, mm -hmm. um, which personally I think would put me on a very consistent um, frame in that, as I said earlier, I'm very pro-life. So mm. it's not really a surprise that I'm all for trying to protect life in COVID. The challenge is for those who are not pro-life, but seem abundantly happy to completely destroy economies to um, and whole livelihoods to save one life. Um, not a bad thing, but their views are quite inconsistent. Uh, there's yeah, a yeah. challenge for them. Yeah. I mean, I think like during the first lockdown, um, you know, I, did, I was I was studying, so I didn't have much time to think. But when I did have time to think, it was just like realizing the the like how big the decision is uh, to lock down a country, and like there's so many other layers to it. Like uh, which businesses do you allow to open? Um, and then it's like, okay, if you don't let these businesses allow to open, how do these people survive? And it's just like, and I just it was in, it's just like I do not envy uh, Jacinda Ardern or anyone that's in. <laughs> that seat right at the moment donald trump boris johnson don't envy them at all you know <laughs> but you know hats off to them you know mm, using indeed. i mean um i know her i don't know exactly what was going through her mind of course um but she would not have um, made these decisions uh, lightly so you know there'll be some mm. we agree with there'll be some mm. that new zealanders disagree with well i know they disagree with but actually she would have labored over that all puns intended um <laughs> 
you know, would have thought really hard trying to weigh everything up. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, she ended up doing what politicians have to do, and that's make a decision. Mm. And many, many others, commentators in the media, the commentariat in general, will spend a lot of time opining that they didn't make the decision. True, true, true. And I think uh, we were talking earlier about like the the thing with politics is it's the discussion and the disagreement. And I, you know, this is my fifth attempt at uh, a podcast, and so I'm very I like discussion. Um, and I think from what I've experienced in watching uh, the political commentators that I do and uh, following people like Jordan Peterson is seeing how disagreement uh, has two 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 kind of approaches in it, like. The one that you don't really see too much is how disagreement actually produces so much more fruit in a conversation. And I don't know if you ever saw that interview with Jordan Peterson and Kathy Newman, but I just thought that was so beautiful. Everyone was criticizing Kathy Newman because she was just hammering Jordan Peterson. But like in doing that, he was able to like bring his point to the fore so much more. And I just thought it was an amazing uh, discussion. But nowadays it seems that like... Uh, disagreement is tantamount to a personal attack so um and i think i'm gonna ask you this question and then i'm gonna see if if we've got any questions on facebook from uh, the listeners uh so if you've got any questions and you haven't put them in a question box put them in now if you haven't got any questions make some up now anyway so how do we disagree with people how do we have robust discussion um that it that allows disagreement um, let me come in initially to say, actually, disagreement, discussion, debate, argument uh, without violence is incredibly important. Mm. Um, our democracy uh, is based on that. Again, we haven't got to today's systems by luck. Okay. It's that fence analogy you used again, because actually a lot of people from your Bernie Sanders and others want to tear everything down mm. without appreciating that actually... Um, we didn't get here by luck and by good intentions. We got here with a rule of law, legal systems, constitutional systems, democratic electoral systems, um, through a lot of trial and error. One of the reasons, actually, without getting too tangential, that um, you know we learn about um, the British um, monarchy and systems at school, not because it's sort of you know, nice to know history. Um, it's because it, it's the history of how our, our democratic, the Westminster system happened, how effectively a tyranny um, of kings and queens was transformed into a parliamentary democracy where you and me and everyone gets to have a say. Um, so disagreement is so vitally important and worryingly, very worryingly, uh, in New Zealand, and you are seeing it in other Western democracies, an attempt to shut that down. Mm. Um, that there can't be any disagreement. Um, and, well, there can be disagreement in one direction. So uh, if you're liberal, woke, progressive, whatever the right term is, um, you can disagree with everybody and yell and scream at them. Uh, they're bigots, they're intolerant, blah, blah, blah. Um, but flip side, corollary, or that corollary, is that you can't disagree with them uh, you'll be pilloried, shamed, cancelled. So mm. that's dangerous, really, really dangerous uh, for a healthy, functioning 
democracy and it's mm. unenlightened uh, and unfortunately even seeing that in the sciences now uh, that certain things are unquestioned uh, you know we, we we as a society are where we are today because we argue and we debate and we challenge but how do you do it um, two suggestions one is respect and that begins with a fundamental understanding of humanity which is the person you are debating with is as human and as important and as valued as you are. Um, yeah. That's respect. Uh, the second element is what I often tell young people that can go to anybody is you have to understand why you think what you do. And in other words, if you take the time to understand why you feel the way you do, why you believe in certain things, um, you'll actually grow and learn, which gives you a maturity to be able to engage the other person. Mm. So if I maybe phrase it to finish on this part on the, in the, the negative, people who don't understand why they believe something, when they're fervent, zealous believers in whatever philosophy, they don't understand it, then they can't debate mm. rationally. So what do they do? They get angry, they get shrill, they, they raise their voice, they scream, they call you whatever names. Um, so that's, to me, when it happens, a sign of great weakness, um, that they don't actually know why they think what they do. So how do you fix it? How do you have good debate? Educate people, let them think, let them actually ask questions. And we go right back to that philosophical point, mm. ask why, you know? So if you wanna be a, a communist, all right, uh, but maybe go and read up a little bit and, and firm up your reasons why, and then we can have a proper debate and you might realise that that philosophy has killed hundreds of millions of people and we probably don't want to do it again. <laughs> Bernie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or anyone else for that matter. Anyone Let's else, that's right. Let's not discriminate one person, yeah. Bernie. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and I think it's one thing that I've always felt as I've come to growing my faith it's something that really comes across the catholicism as well as like it's all fine well being a catholic but why are you catholic that's the you know when you're in debates with people and they start attacking your faith or saying god isn't real it's like you need to first it's like the 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 dream is kind of like if i learn all the answers to all the questions when people ask them i can just bludgeon them but if you know why you're doing it then all of a sudden it stops becoming a bludgeon and starts becoming a discussion it's like it's like, but that doesn't make sense to everything I believe. And this is what I believe and this is why I believe it. And all of a sudden, if you've got, if you've given them the why, they're like, well, I can't argue with the why because that's how you believe it. Um, well, that's what I've experienced in before. I've tried the uh, giving all the, you know, pro answers to the problem of evil and then just giving up and saying, you know what? Actually, here's my testimony. This is what I've experienced in my faith. And all of a sudden, there's no argument against that. It's just discussion. It's intrigue, you know? Yeah. Uh, if you can get people to ask questions as well, I think once they've asked a question, their ears are open and their mouth is shut, you know. Anyway, we do have a few questions from the old Facebook. We've got one from uh, Brendan Ward. Oh. Who are your favourite philosophers? Well, hello to Brendan. Um, well, I've got, look, I've got quite a few, but I'll, I'll only mention a couple. So um, I mentioned in passing... Um, I'd, I'd call myself an Aristotelian. So Aristotle, I'm quite influenced by. Uh, and then as a consequence, um, uh, Thomas Aquinas has a, a big effect on my uh, thinking. Mm. Uh, and then more recently, a woman called Martha Nussbaum, 
Um, she's an Aristotelian uh, influence philosopher who lives in America. Uh, and then probably a guy called, he's dead now, I suppose most of the philosophers are, um, a guy called John Rawls, um, very liberal, uh, liberal in the best sense of the word, uh, Amer again, American uh, philosopher. So they're pretty big um, for me. Um, and then if I might, there's one other who's had quite a, well, actually two others very quickly, uh, a guy called René Girard, Frenchman, there's something called mimetic theory, the whole, mm. why do we desire what we desire? And I did my first postgraduate degree in his philosophy. Mm. And the other's a, a guy called Martin Buber, I've heard a of Jewish it. philosopher. I and thou. Mm. Um, if you want to read it in the original German, go for it. Um, but uh, it's quite profound uh, to pick very quickly on Buber. It's about understanding that I... And you are a thou, you are me in a way. It's that thing I mentioned earlier about respect. Buber really draws that out, that other human beings are a reflection of you. They are a, a thou, they're not an other. And if you think mm -hmm. of modern political or philosophical discourse, it's always very quick to make another group an, an other, mm. slightly less human. Mm. You know, you talk about American politics. The Republicans demonize the Democrats and vice oh, versa. Yeah. They're, they're others. They're not like us. What did, what did Hillary Clinton call them? I've forgotten these, you know, degenerate, whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, it's making someone an other. Whereas Buber is very much about understanding that other human beings are just, a, in a sense, a reflection of you. Sorry, long answer. Well, yeah, I think that sounds like something we could definitely do with uh, looking up in this modern era um because as a like just a bit of follow-on for that is didn't um aristotle he wasn't he wasn't a christian but didn't thomas aquinas kind of baptize his philosophy have i got that right because he said yeah, thomas aquinas. i mean aristotle was well before uh the, the birth of christ mm. um his writings actually uh thankfully uh protected by um islamic countries actually it was through the crusades um that his writings were found and transmitted, if you will, uh, back to the West and, and very influential on Thomas Aquinas's thought. It's mm. basic, basic, basic premise. Drilling it really down is that we as humans can understand the world around us. That's the fundamental. We can make empirical or, or, or observations and go, this is how the world should be. And we mm. can make conclusions from that, which is very opposite to modern or postmodernism, which says there's no truth, there's no categories, there's no nothing. You can't know anything. Um, I don't even know if I'm myself, you know. It's uh, um, Rene Descartes, isn't it? Yeah, it, cogito ergo sum. Yeah, exactly right. That, mm. um, Aristotle's a much more confident philosopher. Uh, but yes, uh, Aquinas highly influenced by him. Yeah, very good, very good. Okay, some more questions. Um... Isabel asks, Simon, how do you push back against being discriminated against for being Catholic and calling them out for double standards without losing your patience because they just don't see that they're being inconsistent? Well, thanks, Isabel. Depends what mood I'm in. Generally, I try to be patient. There's a, a quote I've always been inspired. Um, it says, of all the manifestations of power, restraint impresses upon men the most. Um, and women too, of course. Mm -hmm. um, so I just try to exercise patience. Um, 
for me, in many ways, I mean, I don't like it. I mean, no one wants to be attacked, labeled, bullied, or attempt to bully. Mm. Um, but I often will just think when that person's having a crack at me to go, what's wrong with you? What, what's going on in your life that makes you so angry uh, and so miserable, actually? Why is it that you feel you have to use this aggressive language? So I actually sort of feel a bit sorry for them. Um, and then I try to genuinely be sympathetic to rather than attack to go, well, what is drawing this out? What, why are you saying these things? And it's a little bit of what you shared, Dom, is I don't really go into arguments. I mean, I've done all the apologetics and stuff, but it's really just to usually ask them a few questions and often mm. about themselves because then you begin to, to draw a bit further out. But if I'm in a mischievous mood, um, Isabella, uh, I'll just turn the usual left well, sorry, I should be careful. I will turn the usual progressive arguments on themselves. So when they're, um, yeah, I'll just say, well, you're, you're discriminating against me. Boy, you're, you're being very intolerant of me at mm. the moment. Boy, you know, you just have to allow me to identify as a Catholic as I want to. Mm. So that's when I'm in a more mischievous mood. You just turn their arguments back on them and they, they sort of get embarrassed because you're turning their own fire, mm. if you will, onto them. And so they, they don't know how to cope usually. Mm. yeah i've always thought that concept of tolerance is actually it's not actually that nice it's like why would you want to be tolerated it's like i don't like you i'm gonna and i'm just gonna tolerate you i'm not gonna deal with you i'm just gonna tolerate you it's like why would you want to be tolerated it's like well, tolerance is a misnomer in the current um environment you're not wanting tolerance tolerance is used as a word but actually what is demanded is acceptance uh mm. and you're seeing more and more legalized acceptance in other words um, tolerance is, a, a, is an old virtue that actually, I disagree with you, but I'll tolerate you. I'll, yeah, I'll tolerate you. Um, mm. Now what you're getting is enforced legal acceptance. Either you say you believe everything that I believe in or else there'll be legal sanctions. And that's why it's so dangerous. And that's why you're seeing conscience rights undermined, why you're seeing the likes of hate speech being uh, brought up. Uh, and so forth. So it's very, very dangerous because actually tolerance is becoming legally enforced acceptance. Either mm. agree with us or we'll penalize you. Interesting. It's a tough nut to crack. It's one of those ones that's like, okay, now I stop reading uh, for <laughs> all this stuff now. Now I start just going to read some C.S. Lewis or something. Oh, yeah. And it, <laughs> anyway, uh, I just recently read Narnia and my mind was blown. So. Uh, CSS <laughs> is my, my, my man anyway uh, I've got a follow up from Isabel here it says also Simon you are definitely up to date with what's happening in China I would just love to know your thoughts on balancing between speaking out against China but then I do understand the concern of exporters slash people who rely on exports who need to put food on their table I do think New Zealand is too reliant on China already and we and we can move towards diversifying that. But how do we deal with that dilemma now? Gosh, Isabella's Isabel. got a good question. Thank you, Isabella. She's um, been paying attention. Yeah. There'll be a quiz at the end. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, look, I, I would quickly make the distinction between China and the Chinese Communist Party. The latter I've got very little time for. Uh, it's a, an, an autocratic communist regime, uh, and it's a big problem, uh, both internally, when one thinks about the persecutions of the Uyghurs, 
the Muslim uh, um, enclave in the north, uh, the destruction of democracy uh, in Hong Kong, uh, or the political interference that happens here in New Zealand. So that's the CCP uh, rather than China uh, for me, just to make that just to make that distinction. I think it's really important that New Zealand speaks up for its values um, and its trade shouldn't silence that. Um, so for me, free trade is good. It's really important. New Zealand's actually highly dependent on China. Uh, it enables all of us who are listening in to have the lives that we do. So mm. we want to keep trading with China. Um, but free trade also means that we as in New Zealand should be free to express um, our views in the same way that China should be able to freely express its views uh, to us um, robustly, whether we agree or not. So I suppose it's a very long way of saying we should not compromise our values for trade uh, or for money, but we shouldn't toss our trade out either. We should try to balance both, mm. but I am certainly being disappointed in recent weeks and months uh, that government uh, hasn't spoken out clearly, as I say, democracy has been destroyed in Hong Kong. Mm. Uh, good people arrested because they have free thought. That's a problem. A million plus Muslims in um, Xinjiang province are in internment and concentration camps. That's despicable. New Zealand needs to speak up. Uh, so we do need to keep pushing. Um, yeah, so it is a dilemma. Um, and as terms of diversifying, there are other countries. Uh, we should be more aggressively pursuing free trade agreements with the likes of the UK, the EU, uh, and then to the extent we can with the US, um, but both Republican and Democrat parties and their respective presidents or candidates have rejected that. So it's a bit of a challenge, but mm. we can diversify. And I suppose if we absolutely have to, we could always go to Australia, but, you know. Let's... We could. We'd have to be very, very desperate. <laughs> Um, I suppose like, I was just thinking like how you um, separated the, the the Communist Party and uh, the CCP and the and the, the Chinese people is I think does that is that coming back to that Martin Buber I Thou thing? It's like separating the ideas from the people and tackling the ideas. Well, I think it's it's probably as much to do to make sure we don't demonise an entire country and billions of of people. Um, so there is a, a hint of Buber in in that. But we are ultimately talking about a country that's run by um, the CCP um, and it's not run by every person in China. And I think it's just important, particularly in New Zealand, that we don't want to sort of be stirring up racial tensions or scapegoating. That's mm. probably more Rene Girard, actually. To all of a sudden try to blame a whole group of people that they are to blame. No, they're not, actually. Um, people in China have been oppressed by their own people within the CCP. So it's a it's the distinction, but it's focusing, it's focusing on the political structure, in this case, the Communist Party and not the entire populace. Mm. Um, yeah. Very good. Uh, as I was coming to, as I was telling people that we were doing this podcast, um, a lot of people were asking me along pro-abortion, pro pro-life lines, it's like, how do you feel as someone that is pro-life about people in your party being like pro-abortion or even kind of nonchalant about it it's like how does that affect you it's like i'm in this party with these people and you know how does that affect you because you know it's like you obviously you obviously believe in national you obviously said like, this is my party i'm going to be a national mp 
but there's this this is quite a fundamental thing, isn't it? Uh, that being pro life. You, if you're not pro life, you, you're not pro anything, really, are you? Oh, look. I think in simple terms, yeah, you're right. I mean, if you can't agree the most, the most, the most fundamental of human rights, then all the rest sort of fall by the wayside. And it's one of the one of the great ironies I find in politics again of those who prattle on a lot about human rights, uh, often making them up, are the ones who don't actually support the right to life, which is like what um you know <laughs> but anyway that's a larger discussion for another time but mm. um look obviously disappointed but i think it's really important that you reflect from the the flip side so just as i will look to them and go well, like i don't know how you could be pro-death how on earth can you support these things mm. they're looking at me going well why are you pro-life what what are you thinking so again it's that patience and humility that kicks in to to understand that people usually come with a viewpoint for, for various reasons, good or bad, um, just as I do. So it's that respect from the outset. So in my own party, there are a variety of views um, and we talk about them robustly uh, and we disagree on them. Uh, but again, I can respect, if you will, uh, that they look at me with confusion in the same way I look at them. Uh, and yet we still do share, by and large, a lot of the similar similar values. And the irony, perhaps, I won't use names, but, you know, some of my closest um, uh, friends or colleagues in, in Parliament, um, we actually share a relatively consistent view on issues, but they manifest themselves in different ways. So thinking to one person in particular, um, they and I would have very, very different views on the life issues, but actually we're very aligned on a whole lot of other things. So there's some common values. There's an understanding that they look at me with as much confusion as I look at them. Hmm. Uh, and then finally, the, the patience aspect, which is you just keep discussing and debating. Um, and you hope that one day the, the arguments put forward, the seeds that are sown might actually um, uh, bear fruit rather than walking in with a shovel and hitting them over the head and thinking that'll make a difference yeah true true yeah it's, it's so it's so tempting it's like we just we just want it's like i just want to be able to say the thing and they go oh you're right i'll change my my view but at the same time i'm not willing to do that to the person that's coming at me so why should i expect that to happen well i find in political life often we'll get very shrill people who will come to talk to me or they'll stop me in the street and they get very emotional and they might be yelling and you disagree with them then they yell louder. And I often will ask them at the end of it, once they've calmed down, sort of, do you think yelling at me is going to make me more or less inclined to support you? Mm. Um, and most of them can sort of go, oh, well, I'm sorry, Simon, or, you know. Um, so in other words, I think we have to practice that as well. Um, mm. Zealously demanding that they must change their views very rarely works. I, I think we just have to be a bit more gentle. Mm. Very good. Well, I think that's all the questions from Facebook. I probably could keep, keep on asking you questions all night, but it is getting to nine o'clock. Um, so we'll have to have you back on Curiously Catholic for uh, some other things. I'd definitely like to pick your mind about Martin Buber uh, a bit more. So maybe we get a, a philosoph philosophically Curiously Catholic session. We could. Make sure you bring a nice, you know, um, like a Tolkien-like smoking pipe, good whiskey. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, I'm definitely down for that. Maybe we could do it in person. Let it be. Not a bit. I actually have two very beautiful uh, wooden briar pipe replicas from the same company. 
uh, that oh. made the pipe for the Lord of the Rings. Um, well, it looks like we will be doing that very try. soon. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for uh, joining us, Simon, and thank you all that are listening and will be listening to us online. Um, this has been Curiously Catholic, and if you enjoyed this and you want to get more of that, look us up on all podcast apps. That's Curiously Catholic, or go onto our website uh, at evangelion.co.nz. Uh, we've got a blog on there, we've got the podcast, and we have all our upcoming events that we'll be, um, that we'll be showing. Uh, so pay attention, get involved, and also um, the bigger mission of Evangelion, Evangelion is evangelizing, sharing the gospel, and hopefully bringing speakers from overseas to New Zealand to help us in that mission. And if you want to get behind that, don't be shy and do donate we have all the details on our website that's evangelion.co.nz and get behind us so we can get behind this mission that the church has set us up for so thank you all very much and good night <laughs>